Jonathan Edwards once wrote, It is not by telling people about ourselves that we demonstrate our Christianity. Words are cheap. It is by costly, self-denying Christian practice that we show the reality of our faith. Join Adam Howell, Ryan Hanley, and Caleb Niedermeyer for a discussion about living out deeply rooted affections. This is Oaks of Righteousness Podcast. Welcome back to Oaks of Righteousness Podcast. Joined here in studio, back with uh, the crew, the full crew. They've made it back from all their excursions. Ryan, glad to have you back. It feels like forever since since we've been in it here in this, this nice, humid, hot garage. Yes. You said up, it was a studio. Well, you know. <laughs> same difference. Studio, garage, you know, it's all the same. Uh, we are still looking for um, a sponsor. I mean, we had to go on mm-hmm. the... the the company credit card, you guys had to go out to the Grand Canyon. That's going to put us back a few years. I, I've got a candy bar. <laughs> <laughs> it, it actually sent back. It, it denied my, my sale. So. Oh, man. Uh, but if somebody wants to sponsor you got to be careful like, about eating those Canyon candy bars. <laughs> I guess so. Have either of you been to Israel? Mm-mm. No. All right, so if somebody listening to this podcast wants to sponsor a... A trip to Israel for us. Uh, we'll we'll gladly go. We'll accept it. Yeah, we can record over there too. We'll, say we'll even record over there. That's right. We'll record next to the Jordan, uh, where John the Baptist baptized, and we'll be good Baptists, and uh, we won't get rebaptized. But uh, today, I want to get jump right into to our topics today. Got I think some really really good topics. I'm excited to hear you guys. But I want to talk about the gospel and affections and how those are related. I want to hear how you guys define the gospel. Is it just in your own words, or you can steal from somebody else's, just let us know who, who it is. Like the Bible or something? Yeah, like the Bible okay. or something like that. <laughs> this was uh, Paul. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, Ryan, since Adam didn't get my text last night because he was sleeping about the questions. I'm uh, still studying I, over here. I was, I was asleep too. So, there, there are a lot of good different versions of how we understand the gospel. And I guess to kind of put it simply, although I can't usually do the like do it in one sentence or less kind of thing, but um, I, I think Jesus and Paul both both put the gospel in the context of, of God's kingdom, um, especially Jesus, you know, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he went about preaching the good news. So I guess I would say that too, like gospel is good news. And so what is this good news? Well, for good news, you have to have bad news. And I think, you know, the, the biblical storyline from the very beginning puts puts out this, this bad news, you know. So first God created the world and everything in it. He created man in his image to bear his image, to rule over the earth and, and subdue it on behalf of God. And right off the bat in Genesis 3, um, Adam and Eve choose, um, you know, it's not just the act of eating an apple or a fruit, you know, of the tree um, is somehow like the apple contained some kind of poison or was bad for man, but, you know, it was an act of rebellion against God's command. And, and, and we see that from the earliest parts of scripture and it's just carried on through from there. Man is in rebellion against God as image bearers. We're doing everything but bearing God's image. So that's, that's the bad news. You know, when Jesus comes and John comes saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, and they're, they're preaching this good news. The good news is that God is doing something about that in a very decisive way, um, which he had promised in the Old Testament. And, and what he did, he sends 
Jesus first who bears God's image as man was designed to do and becomes king over his kingdom again, essentially. Um, so that, But that's only part of the good news because Jesus can be king and you know that man can be going fine. Uh, the kingdom is back in God's hands, if, if you will. But what about the rest of humanity? Um, so the good news for us is that Jesus also died um, on the cross. He, he took our punishment on the cross for our sins in, in God's glory and, and amazing grace. He, he rose again uh, as the first fruits of, of creation of man. And so that's the short, long, long version of the gospel. Um, his, his kingdom's back in his hands and he makes a way for rebels to also return to that kingdom. Adam. I can't add anything to that. Oh, come on. Use your own words. I don't have any this early in the morning. Um, I, I would say, like Paul, you know, See, Romans will add to it. <laughs> yeah, I'll get, I'll get this. Um, so, I mean, you know, there's tons of like gospel tracks and things that have succinct gospel presentations, and and they're they're really good. I, I love that. I, you know, the Romans Road thing is exists because it it's great. You know, it works, and uh, it's the Bible. It it lays out the Bible. So, I mean, you know, the first several chapters of Romans. Basically, just says what I said, except they do. It, Paul does it yeah. much better than I do. <laughs> so I just, uh, if, if you're curious, um, yeah, I just totally uh, paraphrased Paul there in much less ways than he did. But I don't think it was plagiarism. I think we're allowed to do that. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I mean, I think that the, um, I guess, essence of the gospel being good news is that we are, we as humans, fallen humans, are in a desperate plight. Without uh, without hope, without rescue, without any kind of sense of security. I mean, you just I don't. I'm sure people do it every day. As a matter of fact, I know they do. But I don't know what it would be like to live mm-hmm. a life mm-hmm. in this culture without some sense of security in the future. And I'm not talking about investments or mm-hmm. financial security or relational security or anything. I'm talking about like what is life about and mm-hmm. what is the next step and um, you know, for those who are in Christ, you have the answer to that in his kingdom and the security of his rule and that sort of thing. So, you know, the essence of the gospel then is that we are in a desperate situation because of sin and Christ has given us um, a means, um, a way, uh, you know, however you want to phrase that, to uh, to have a right relationship with the Father so that we can be part of his people and you don't have to interact with this, but this is just something that I wrote wrote down. This is the gospel is the good news that God's kingdom has arrived in the life, death, and Jesus and in resurrection of Jesus mm-hmm. and will continue to advance in the hearts of individual people of all nations through the proclamation of Jesus by the church, empowered by the Spirit, until Jesus returns to make all things new. That sounds like a doctrinal statement. It's like a creed. <laughs> <laughs> I plagiarized it. The the Caleb Creed. Yeah, right. Actually, I, I wanted to ask you guys, talking about the Romans Road, have you ever heard of the Tanakh Trail? <laughs> no, but that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> no, but I need to find that. Yeah. Post that link in the, in the yeah, podcast. Right. Well, I don't, like, the, I'm, just, I'm just wondering because... Or did um, you just make that up? No, I didn't. Um, are you impressed that I actually even know what Tanakh is? <laughs> uh, do you know what Tanakh is? No, not at all. I was going to say, you can say the word, so, but you don't know what it is. <laughs> Something about the Old Testament. It is. Okay. Um, you know, a missionary from Israel, while he was over there, they can't use the Romans' road, so he's like, 
I need awesome. I need something else. So he <laughs> developed the, the Tanakh Trail is what he, he used. So I'll have to go I'll have to go in my records yeah, we'll, and find yeah, out. Yeah, we can definitely find that. be looking that one up. So second question is what is your favorite Old Testament text that points to the gospel? Yes. Yep. The entire thing. Okay, come on. The, the, the Tanakh Trail is one. <laughs> <laughs> it just became it just, his favorite. Um, no, that, we were actually laughing about that this morning. It's like, yes, the Old Testament is our favorite text that points to the gospel. But Oh, I just thought of a good one. So, one one of my favorite Old Testament texts uh, that points to the gospel would be, um, starting in Genesis 3, you know, not not just Genesis 3.15, that the, the woman is going to have a seed son who strikes the head of the serpent, defeating him and sort of ending this enmity that's between the, the woman's seed and the, and the serpent. But... Um, you know, in, in Genesis 2, God tells Adam, you know, you can eat from any tree, but from the tree of the knowledge of good, of good and evil, you may not eat. Or in the day that you eat of it, you're dead meat. So it's it's always striking that Adam and Eve eat from the fruit and they don't die. And, and you know, we, through, throughout church history, we've debated, you know, well, is this a spiritual death? You know, is there physical death? Well, in some sense, they did begin to die that day. But at the end of the day... It wasn't any kind of instant death that we saw, and that in and of itself was some kind of mercy from God. And, and I, I like to think that you can see the shadow of the cross hanging over that instance. They eat the fruit, and it doesn't say they died. It says their eyes were open. They knew mm. that they were naked, and um, you know they go on from there. And the narrative continues. You know that decisive moment is at the beginning of the Bible, um, and and what we see God doing there. Yes, He pronounces a curse on mankind, on, on the serpent, on, on creation, but he puts clothes on them. Hmm. He covers their nakedness, um, this shame, this alienation, this isolation they feel from one another and from God, and, and makes a way for, for life to continue, for a relationship with each other and with God to continue. Um, and, and I just think that's like just a pivotal moment right off the bat that, that points to good news um, when something so tragic has just happened. And, you know, it goes on from there. I think think the other what, that really hits at the heart of the gospel that I was thinking about is in Ezekiel 37. Um, you know, you can also think of Jeremiah, uh, the new covenant there. But um, in Ezekiel 37, is talking about this valley of dry bones. And they're, they're just these dead dry bones in this valley. I mean... Dry bones are, are nothing. They, they're a, a symbol of past life. You know, it's no longer, this is death now. This is like the ultimate end of man's sinfulness. And, you know, God commands Ezekiel to speak to them and they come alive like flesh is starting to come on them and they're coming back together and they get up and there's there's all these people. And he's, you know, Yahweh is saying that this is, this is how it's going to be. And, um, you know, just that is the picture of the gospel. Um, you know, in the Old Testament as well, that we're not coming from, man, I, I kind of stubbed my toe a little bit. God, can you give me some kind of something to wrap mm-hmm. it up with so I'll be good? But no, it's we're dead, absolutely dead. Dead things don't live. Dead things don't honor God. Dead things don't rule over the earth. Dead things don't love or have joy. Um, they're just dead. And, you know, when we see God doing that in the New Testament and, and Jesus comes and when, when you see this promise coming of, you know, repent and believe the gospel, you know, the kingdom of God is at hand. I mean, that's coming on the heels of all these things we've seen in the Old Testament. The Old Testament sets up 
the plight of man and, and puts this promise in place um, that we see God fulfilling in small ways as we go along. And, and when we get to the Gospels, you know, it's just like just this big giant stamp hmm. in, in redemptive history. So I'll stop taking Old Testament texts. That was more than one. It was. You know what? It's you true. took three of mine. <laughs> I only did two. <laughs> oh, um, the one I thought about. And there's a lot of context here, but Hosea one, um, mm. and then um, in my mm. mind, I'm I'm kind of linking that christologically to and, and in a gospel context to First Peter chapter two. But in Hosea one, the um, the names of the children. So you've got this sinful situation, but although it's been you know what we typically think of an adulterous situation or a you know a scandalous situation that's producing these children and. Not only is that bad enough, but the names of the children, Jezreel, and if you read First Kings and find out what happened in the valley of Jezreel, you'll find dogs eating people who have fallen out of windows or been pushed out. So anyway, shocking to the to the Hebrew ear of how nasty the situation is. And then and then the next child is Loruchamah, which means uh, a lot of English translations are or English Bibles will say that the name of the child was no mercy, which is exactly what it means. And then the the third child is lo ami, no, not my people. Um, so you get this, you know, basically a reversal of the covenant or, or this rejection of the people because of their plight and because of their situation. But then even in Hosea 1, you don't even have to get First Peter for this, but in Hosea 1, it's chapter 2, 1 in the Hebrew, but one ten in the English. It says that the Israel and Judah will come together and appoint for themselves one head, and they will be called children of the living God. And so even in Hosea 1, in the midst of this desperate and uh, nasty is a good, uh, the best word I can come up with, or even confusing, because we don't really know what to do. Why in the world did God tell Hosea to do that? You know, but it becomes this prophetic picture of, of what the Lord is doing and the situation of humanity that then God comes in and says, um, these people who have demonstrated themselves to be without mercy and to be not my people, those will be my people. They will be called children of the living God. And then first Peter picks that up. And, um, I don't know if I can uh, quote it or rattle it off, but you get the, the covenantal language there of being a holy people, a royal priesthood, a people for his own possession. You get that language there in like two nine, first Peter two nine. And then they will be, uh, those who were previously not my people will be called, my people and those who had not previously received mercy will receive mercy. And then, you know, the idea for us as Christians is that we would propagate that truth. This has happened so that, you know, we would proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. And um, so just that whole idea of the desperation, again, the desperation of the situation we're in, that God through Christ can, can make a a judicial decision to call us his people by justifying us. And uh, that was a good one. I like Hosea 1. I also like it because there's a New Testament precedent for reading it that way. Kind of oh, along with that, seeing the gospel in the Old Testament, just touch on that real quick. I know we talked a little bit with your dissertation on the idea that there are precedents in the New Testament to do that. But Ryan, you're you know, you're talking Genesis 3, and it's setting up the stage for everything. And even uh, Dominion and Dynasty, I think, does a really good job where it's mm-hmm. constantly saying, you get to the end of this book, and you, you're kind of like left with a... <laughs> you, you're left with this idea of, hopefully there's somebody coming, and there's not. 
and you, everything looks like it's in shambles. Yeah. Um, and I think what I'm trying to ask as far as like how how can people be like, oh, it's the Old Testament, it's boring, but there's a couple of good stories in there versus this is leading up to where where everything's going and you have to have that background in order to appreciate what Jesus does in the Gospels. Yeah, so I, I mean, I think that that mindset of kind of starting with Jesus, I think is why sometimes our understanding of Christianity is so anemic because we're starting with good news and we're starting with no anticipation of anything. Hmm. That's right. Um, no that's anticipation true. of anything. So Write that yeah. down. That is good. That's exactly the so issue. We don't have a sense of the bad news and we don't have any we don't have any anticipation for what the gospel brings. In some sense, I mean, well, I'm not going to try and find a good picture because I'd mess it up. But so what what we get with the Old Testament, um, some people call it the First Testament for that reason, just to, to try and show that this is a story that, that has roots. It's a story that goes back. And I, I mean, I think that's, that's what I love most about the Old Testament, especially, and I, I didn't really, you know, Adam mentioned Hosea, and that's just one of the... the the prophetic texts are so good at putting in perspective this plight and the anticipated hope to come where as a people, I mean, they're in exile and everything that they had hoped in is gone. You know, you have children being born in exile that have no sense of that. And, and they're, but they're hearing these stories mm. in this past, these traditions from their, their parents. And everyone's just looking forward with just, I mean, angst you know for lack of a better word and then when jesus comes preaching the good news of the kingdom it's really good news mm-hmm. so you know I, I don't exactly remember what your like what your question was getting into that but i i just think without the old testament we we just have you might say like c.s lewis does like men without chests there's no sense of any kind of affection to the gospel otherwise it's just if someone tells you oh you're a sinner oh, okay, whatever that means, but you need to believe in Jesus so you can go to heaven. Oh, well, that sounds good. I'll go with that. Rather than, you're dead, we're dead, and guess what? All of our ancestors for the past how many ever thousands of years were also dead. Mm-hmm. But God, being rich in mercy, mm-hmm. sends Christ and makes us alive together with him. So yeah, I'll, I'll stop there. But What was the question? Uh, talking about how... The Old Testament is kind of leading up to the New Testament and reading the Old Testament with a gospel light. I don't know if that mm-hmm. makes... I know there's lots of debates on which way it goes. Do you read the Old Testament with the New Testament light or do you read New Testament back into the... Yeah, I think you can do a little bit of both in that sense. And I think it's proper to do a little bit of both, but... Um... I think Ryan probably got at the Old Testament before the New Testament so that you have that desperate context, that historical narrative context of our our history as the people of God, so to speak. But I think that, I mean, the New Testament authors obviously are going to be the ones who knew how to interpret Scripture the best. And by Scripture, I mean the Old Testament, um, their Scriptures. <laughs> um, so they, so, you know, we are, when we follow their models of interpretation and hermeneutic, then... That's, I think, where we're going to be the safest. That doesn't mean that we can't draw our own conclusions or that we can't see things that the Spirit maybe had intended to be there over in the overarching story. 
But I, this is probably part of the reason that I, because this is kind of a two-way street, you know, read the, let the Old Testament lead into the New Testament and also see what the New Testament does with the scriptures, the Old Testament, and mimic that because it's kind of a two-way street there. I think that it, that's so, it, that makes it so much more imperative for Christians today to, to have a, a strong sense of a biblical theology, you know, and I don't mean that in like a technical sense of study, but I think it was Russ Moore that probably said that we need to know our English Bibles very well. And he yeah. puts that in the context of the languages, Greek and Hebrew. And right. it's like, you need to know your English Bible really well. And that's true because you just, you then have that big picture, start to finish paradigm to understand the whole story so that things like Hosea 1, that, or, you know, it, it's not that it's bizarre and it's kind of like, wow, but you can kind of get past the oddity of it to see the big picture. Oh, that's what we're getting at yeah, here. Yeah. That's what Hosea was getting at. Well, and if, if, if Hosea is not in the context of that story, it doesn't make sense at all. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. but if you've got that's this right. covenant set up and it's the most intimate God, man relationship in history, you know, and that at that time that now Yahweh is calling out against his people because it's, it's as if, a marriage is being destroyed mm-hmm. by adultery. And, uh, you know, that picture doesn't make sense without, you know, the context of the covenant before yeah. that. So, yeah, that's, uh, that's, I don't know if that answers the question directly, but uh, the part that I, ha- I get concerned about with how we read the two testaments together and is, are just the, the, I don't know. Yeah. Outlandish is not really the right word, but just the, <laughs> sometimes it is. Yeah. Sometimes it is outlandish. <laughs> like, um, the, the connections to Christ in the Old Testament that, that don't have at least a relatively strong warrant. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it just seems like the the connection is made because you had a good dinner last night and you were up reading early and saw something that looked flashy and would preach really well. Um, those those So I'm going to side with uh, Dr. Dwayne Garrett here and just say we have to be careful. Yeah. We just have to be very careful. That's good. Um, so. um, talk about... I uh, hear the last question with uh, with this, but talk about how people can preach the gospel to themselves. This is good news. You've, you've been changed. You went from dead to alive. Now you're going forward. I mean, I think we'd all agree the gospel is still very pertinent for each believer in their sanctification. Mm-hmm. But how does that, that work out with your affections, with the day-to-day life of, hey, we have to go to work in a few minutes here. How does the gospel actually change that, and how do I m- remind myself of that? I don't. For whatever reason, when I think about preaching to yourself, I immediately go to Psalm forty-two and forty-three. He and does I, a lot because he did this with me when when we were meeting one on one. That was the first. That was the it first was song, actually. That was, the, that was yeah. the first song that we talked to about um, through. So, yeah, this one has probably been, I mean, incredibly helpful for me because just through periods of depression and and sadness and what I would, melancholy, there's melancholy. a good Puritan word, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> melancholy. Melancholy. <laughs> the, um, you know, the psalmist is asking himself, why are you downcast, oh, my soul? And um, and that's that points out, I think, that the, the reality of human life is that we will be downcast. There will be struggles. There will be depressions. There will be trials there will be suffering the new testament even it never tells us that you won't suffer in fact it tells us you should prepare for it 
and find joy in it. Like, are you kidding me? How do you do that? Well, the psalmist answers it. Why are you downcast, O my soul? And then he preaches to himself, and what he preaches is hope. Hope in God. For I will again praise him. So he knows that that praise will again come one day, even if it's in the heavenly kingdom um, after death. So that is the gospel that we can preach to ourselves in the, in the midst of this world reminding us that we are dead and desperate and frail. Um, we can we can remind ourselves on a regular basis and should remind ourselves on a regular basis that there is hope in God. And I, I like that the psalmist, and of course this is all superintended by the Spirit, but the psalmist says hope in God, not hope in a set of words, not hope in a pastor, not hope in a, 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 a savvy message, not hope in a tagline, but hope in God. And that takes... That reminds me then of, um, uh, I guess, what is it, Second uh, Corinthians uh, 4, John, where Piper laid out, uh, God is the gospel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? And, and uh, absolutely, like, what is the gospel? It is gaining access to the Father mm-hmm. through Christ alone, and therein we have found our deepest joy and satisfaction. Mm-hmm. So who are we going to hope in? We're going to hope in God. I'm going to hope in God to not lash out against this coworker today. I'm going to hope in God that I put forward a gospel presentation with my life today. I'm going to hope in God that I don't, you know, whatever it may be that could come up in a work day or a regular, that I don't, you know, <coughs> yell at my children today. I'm going to, Absolutely. you know, that is, yeah. and God is the only one through Christ who can help us do that. Therefore, what we preach to ourselves is hope in God. And there's, oh, you, I mean, suss that out all over the place, but Good work. yeah, you like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I, I, I don't know what I would add. Um, the, the reason to preach the gospel to yourself is because, I mean, it's, it's sort of the ultimate foundation of, of our lives. I mean, we're, we're reminding ourselves daily that we're part of God's kingdom. And I mean, just like everything we've talked about, that means everything is affected by that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, even my work, even my relationships, even the way that I think or the, what I use my thinking time for um, in, in some way uh, flows out of that kingdom or is contributing to that kingdom in some way, shape or form. And, you know, I guess here, here's what I would add. So, yes, the, the, the call is to preach the gospel to yourself regularly. Um, as the answer to how you view life. But, um, you know, as we've talked about in the past, that's just all the more reason we need to know the gospel. That's mm-hmm. all the more reason we need to be in the word regularly, all the more reason we need to be praying to God regularly. Because I know when I'm not doing those things, the gospel is the last thing on my mind. You know, I've, I've pushed it out of my thinking for other kinds of things, you know, projects, relationship things, uh, you know, work things, school things, whatever. Um, so those are the things I'm thinking about. And what do, what do I do? I, I get anxious or I'm, I'm trying to figure out how do I fix this problem and that kind of thing. And because I haven't been thinking about the gospel, because I haven't been reading the word, it's not within easy reach. You know, it's a book that you've taken and put off in a bookshelf in your garage where I keep all my books <laughs> instead of on the bookshelf in your room, you know, so that you can access it regularly. It's, you've just pushed it to the fringes of, of your life and of your thinking. Yeah, I'd add one more thing that you, you, you mentioned it about 
uh, praying regularly. Like I was thinking, even with something like preaching to yourself, hope in God, hope in God. That's not just like a little mantra that helps us get through it. That's right. That preaching to yourself, hope in God, should drive us to cry out to the Father. And, and if we if we have a little sermon that we can preach to ourselves, but it's disconnected from the person who will actually help right. us, then we've missed it. Yeah, that's um, right. The gospel is not simply we go to heaven, like you say. Yeah. It's, it's God, yeah. and, and all every aspect of that should drive us to him. Yeah. Absolutely. It's a whole life. Mm-hmm. Like, there's no... I mean, I read my Bible, I pray, and then I have to preach the gospel to myself. It, it's all one. Yeah. Like, yeah. It, it's just a continuous, interconnected, I don't know. There's just no way to, to separate them. Well, guys, we'll, uh, we'll wrap it up there. Um, remember, we're on Twitter. We're on Facebook. Uh, interact with us there. We'd love to, to hear your feedback. Leave us a, a rating on iTunes. And um, if you know anybody that sponsors trips to Israel or uh, even... Even really anywhere, you know. Let us know. Uh, we're, we're not we're not too picky. But um, until next time, remember there is ultimate joy to pursue in this life, and it's to be found in Jesus Christ. Pursue Him.